0: Alright friends, thanks again for being here. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we feel so blessed to be on the journey that we are. For those of you that are new here with us, we are a um, year and a half into our journey. We launched last October and uh, we're excited to, for, for what God's doing. We're excited uh, for a lot of things about it. You know, we dreamed of creating a space where right, relish, right relationship can be at the heart of who we are. Right relationship with God with self and with others. And so, so we come together and we worship this morning and, and we foster that relationship with God. We come together, we have conversation and we have branch gatherings like this Thursday where we build relationships with each other. Um, and, and this morning we're going to look into God's word and we're going to consider... Um, uh, uh, how God's word applies in our lives. What does it mean? Um, what does this text have for us this morning? If you've been with us, you know that we've been studying uh, through the book of Acts. The book of Acts is written by a man named Luke. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, and, uh, and we studied through that last year. And this year, we're looking um, at Acts. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that... Um, the uh the church has begun uh, the book of acts is a story of the holy spirit work powerfully in the beginning of the church the church has begun and the church has begun in jerusalem the hub of israelite faith right the 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 center of of judaism here in jerusalem it's uh, the the church is maybe about scholars say about 10,000 Christians strong, okay? So 10,000 people have come to believe in Jesus. They've given their life to him and been baptized and are living transformed lives and just radical, uh, with a radical sense of community and appreciation for each other. So about ten thousand people there in Jerusalem, um, and, and just last week, the last two weeks, we looked at the story of a man named Stephen, uh, who was who was doing powerful things, spreading the word of God, the message about Jesus throughout Jerusalem. Um, but just like with Jesus, the religious leaders, the the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the rulers of the law, they came together um, and and uh, they they arrested Stephen and eventually had him killed for his bold proclamation that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is our hope and uh, and it's at that time that a persecution began in the church and so this this growing movement uh that that had been growing in Jerusalem you know the nucleus of the israelite community uh is now being scattered uh it begins to move away from the center and if you if you look at luke's two books uh, the the gospel of luke and then the book of acts you'll see um a, a, over the course of the story, the way the, um, the, the way the story begins on the outskirts, Egypt and uh, Galilee, it comes inward towards Jerusalem, Jesus is crucified, the church begins, and today we begin now the outward expansion of the church. Okay, so th- that's, that's a context for our passage today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8 will be in Acts chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 4. Uh, let's read through the text, and then, uh, and then let's look uh, in, in a little bit more depth at what's happening here in, this, uh, in Luke's story for us today. Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the message there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all played, paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was a great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all of the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, They sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, uh, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. All right, it's a fascinating story, a lot of twists and turns, interesting character in the man uh, of, of Simon, but I want to start with uh, uh, the context in which the story is told, the, the, the location in which it's told. Um, so Samaria lay in the middle of Israel. Um, uh, so, so Israel, this, um, uh, north to south oriented nation, um, is, uh, right in the middle of it all is Samaria. You see Galilee above, you remember the story of Jesus' birth, uh, in, in Galilee, born in a remote region. It's kind of the rural part of Israel, a lot of fishing there at the Sea of Galilee, right? So, um, so, so that's a where where jesus began but down south is where jerusalem lies in israel and um now samaria is like it it, it was the armpit of israel right it served no good purpose it kind of stunk no one wanted to 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 be near it right that 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 was the story of samaria and in fact it was much worse than that the samaritans were hated they were the people that had abandoned the traditions of Israel, and for many reasons, there was absolute animosity between uh, Israel, uh, the, the proper Israel, and the Samaritans. And so a good Israelite, when traveling between Galilee and Judea, Gal- Galilee and Jerusalem, uh, would, would go around Samaria, if at all possible. You remember that story that Jesus tells about the good Samaritan? Where he says, you know, there's a guy beat up on the side of the road and the priest walks by and all the noble citizens, you know, he describes the noble people of Israel just walk around the other side, but a Samaritan stops and helps. And he says, now who, who was neighborly? Who was a neighbor to this man? And, and, and they're forced to say the Samaritan. I mean, can you imagine the spite that they feel as he traps them in a place where they have to say Samaritan was good because the Samaritans and and the Israelites, there's Absolute animosity. You also remember when Jesus uh, was preaching, he would go through Samaria and and he he stayed multiple nights in Samaria, sharing with people the good news of the hope that was to come. So today we begin to see, like I said, uh, everything has moved in towards Jerusalem and we begin to see the move away. Because of the persecution, I mean, a couple things happened, good and bad. Obviously, the negative is the persecution and the fact that people are being driven from their homes and Christians are are, are losing their lives for their faith but the good news in the persecution is that the voice of christendom begins to expand to new regions. And so the first story we read here in the book of Acts as the story begins to expand is the story of a man named Philip heading into this region of Samaria. Now now this is outside the bounds of what should be happening in Israelite culture but he has a powerful message to pro- proclaim and for whatever reason Philip chooses to go into a Samaritan town And preach the word. And he comes across our character in the story today, a man named Simon. Now, Simon is a sorcerer. A sorcery in the first century could refer to a lot of different things. Um, it, it, could be, uh, magic, it could be tricks, or it could be, um, honing some sort of darker power for his own purposes. Um, often the sorcerers in the day would, um, uh, would be healers, and so they would, ha- they would use medicines, but they would also use spells and incantations to try to heal people. Interestingly enough, um, our, our English word pharmacy, uh, is from the Greek word uh, for sorcerer, right? Um, so, so they were healers. However, they, um, however, they, they drew upon, you know, sorcery, uh, spells and incantations and things like that, uh, to accomplish their work, to amaze people, to gain wealth, uh, to conduct their businesses, right? And so Simon was the sorcerer of sorcerers, right? In fact, if uh, if you want to know more about it, we'll have a conversation later, or you can do some reading. Justin Martyr in the second century uh, writes a fuller account of this man Simon's story. And, and, and he, he kind of documents what Simon did after this story. And it's fascinating because Simon was a powerful man. People follow, people listen. In, in fact, in the text that we read today in verse 10, it said uh, they called him the great power of God. And apparently he boasted that of himself. He said, I am someone special. I, I, I possess the power of God. And so people followed and people were amazed. But then a man named Philip comes to their region From Jerusalem, after the persecution, he comes to Samaria, and he begins teaching a simple but a radical message about a risen Savior, a man that rose from the dead. And the message that he's preaching is uh, accompanied by powerful signs, incredible things happening, spirits being driven out of people and people healed. And of all the people in Samaria that you would think would just call him on it, call his bluff and say, no way. Remember, Philip is leaving Jerusalem because the religious leaders in Israel are are persecuting and rejecting them, fearful of losing their power. You would think Simon would be in that same boat. Right, He would be fearful of losing his position. A better sorcerer has come to the area. I use that, use that term loosely as, of course, Philip is not a sorcerer. But in, in Simon's mind, is, isn't he thinking, I could lose my position in this community? Uh, but Simon saw Philip and the power of the Holy Spirit for what it was. He realized this is something far beyond what I know. And so, as Philip came preaching with all these signs to accompany, many people choose to accept Jesus and are baptized. In fact, Simon himself, amazed by the things he's seeing, is one of those that's baptized. And it says, like, have you have you ever been just like entranced by something like you cannot get your mind your thoughts off of it? As Simon is so amazed by this man Philip and the things happening that he begins to travel behind Philip, just following. And watching. Now, there's a lot of uh, different perspectives on Philip. Was he genuine uh, in his conversion? Or about Simon, thank you. There's a lot of questions about Simon. Was he genuine in his conversion? Uh, what, what, was he truly in it? And we're going to let Luke's words stand today. It says that he believed and he chose to give his life in baptism, right? He chose to take on Jesus. He's amazed by the things uh, that are happening here. Well when the um when the apostles back in Jerusalem uh, when they hear about what's happening in Samaria remember this hated little region in Israel um they're astonished and they have to know for themselves so they send their their top two Peter and John are sent to the area to see what actually is happening and uh and uh, you can understand their concern like uh this is outside of, of the hub of Israel. Like, it's kind of the, the equivalent of, you know, we would say, man, I came to church and I had this incredible experience with God, right? That would sound very natural. You know, the Israelites would say, yes, you were in one of our temples and you had an incredible experience with God. But, I mean, Samaria, that's like the slums. Like, I went, I went to the dump today, and I had this incredible experience with God, and everyone's like, what are you talking about? That happens in the church, right? That happens. You, God doesn't work in those places or in those ways. And so, so they go to explore what is truly happening here in Samaria, and they get there, and they find that there are many people have been baptized, and yet they haven't received the Holy Spirit. Now, this is an interesting point that we don't have time to go into a lot, um, one of the things I love about this this little this little church start here is the diversity represented amongst us. Um, one of those aspects of diversity is uh, just religious experience. The subject of the Holy Spirit has been controversial in churches uh, since the beginning. In the first Few, few centuries of Christianity, the church fathers, um, uh, came together and, and determined, um, cessation theology, saying that the, the Holy Spirit has ceased to work in the ways that it worked in the first century. But those signs were for, uh, the proof of and the spread of the gospel. And so early in Christian history, uh, the majority, uh, or at least those in authority, um, uh, said the, the Spirit has ceased to work in those ways. Now there have always throughout history been those that said the Spirit is active and alive and, and pursued that in interesting ways. And little sects of the Catholic Church uh, operated in different ways. Well today, uh, one of the fastest growing movements in, in Christendom is Pentecostalism. Uh, the name born of, uh, the Acts 2 account where the Holy Spirit comes in power and people speak in tongues. And so Pentecostalism, one of the largest growing, uh, Christian movements in the world right now, and especially in the global south. So in, in Africa and in South America and places like this, um, growing rapidly. I think we see some inclination, uh, towards that even in America where the Penteco- Pentecostal church is, uh, is active and alive and, and doing well in the States as well. But, in, even in our culture, have you noticed a shift um, beyond the modern era where science explained everything and we were entirely rational people and we could understand everything into a new interest in mystical and, and supernatural things? I mean, you see it in our favorite TV shows, you see it in our books, in the Harry Potters, like there is, there's, this, there's this draw amongst us towards something supernatural, well, throughout the world, uh, the, the question of the work of the Holy Spirit continues to be a major question. Um, just for, for my part, I'll say this, I believe the Spirit to be active and alive. I absolutely do. Now I've not experienced the Holy Spirit in many ways described in the Book of Acts, uh, but I believe the Spirit is active and alive. And if you've been with us since the beginning of the year, one of our goals right now uh, in the year has been to be more attentive to the Spirit. Uh, So we've been looking at the fruits of the Spirit: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And we've been having conversations around our tables and as a people, saying, um, "Like, where where did you see love this week? The Holy Spirit was active." in bringing about love in our lives and, and in the lives of people around us, right? Trying to be more attentive to the fact that the Spirit is at work, that God's mission is moving forward at full steam, that that the Spirit is alive and active amongst us. All right, I wish we could spend a lot more time on that, maybe we will at other times, but for now, the story at hand is that of a man named Simon. So um, the apostles come, they lay their hands on the people, and they receive the Holy Spirit, and Simon is taken by this, right? He is fascinated by what is happening, and so he offers them what what he knows to do. He says, "I'll give you money if you'll teach me the trick you just performed. I don't know. Did he believe it a trick, or did he believe it to be truly powerful? I, I can't say exactly where his mind and his thoughts were in this moment, but he wanted to buy the gift of the laying on of hands and the reception of the Holy Spirit." And Peter responds harshly in verse 20. May your money perish with you. You thought you could buy the gift of God with money? He says, um, I see that you're full of bitterness or, or, or toxic. You're toxic inside, poisoned. Uh, you're poisoned and you're captive to sin is what Peter says of him. You see, here's the reality. Uh, money can only go so far right? Uh, now now we live in a world based on commerce, based on the dollar and, and, and money, but money can only go so far. Um, like we're looking at, you know, there's a lot of things that money can't buy. It can't buy manners or morals or respect, character, integrity, love, right? There's a lot of things in this world that, that whether in Christian terms or in secular terms, we would say money can't buy everything right? It, it, it can't do it all. And this next one, this is for my wife. It says, uh, uh, you can't buy happiness, but you can buy Nutella. And, uh, and that's kind of the same thing, according to her, right? Um, so, but the, the fact is, money, money doesn't buy everything, right? Well, in this case, Simon wanted to use the gift of God, that is the Holy Spirit, as a commodity. He wanted to barter for it. He wanted to give money to receive something more of God. And, um, and so he, he makes the offer. And Peter calls him out, right? Peter lays it on the line. He condemns him. He says, may you and your money perish. But I love that it doesn't stay there. In, in 22, he said, uh, repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you. Right? So so there's this condemnation. May you and your money perish. But he says this, Simon, uh, I want you to repent in the hope that God will forgive. As, as we begin to... um transition just into the application in our lives and what does this look like uh you know two thousand years later in a culture totally different than this how does this play out in our lives there's two directions that we can go um one is that of church history uh which tells the story of simon going on to to work his own ways and you know rejecting his faith becoming powerful um and, and his is a fascinating story but for the sake of allowing Luke's story um, just to resonate for what it is, right? Luke, Luke drew up this account that we could know the story. I, I want to let our application be born directly out of what Luke tells of the story, Luke's narrative, and it's, it's one of this. Um, there's a problem when we choose to perceive Christianity or God as a commodity that could be bought or sold. When, when we choose uh, to allow the consumerism that is so rampant in, in our nation to be a primary focus and goal and, and influence in the church and in our relationship with God. I spent some time this, this week imagining how does like, this drive that we have just to have more, to possess more for ourselves, how does this play out in our faith? I mean, in Simon's, he saw the magic trick he wanted, and so he tried to buy it. It's maybe not so direct in our lives. But but there comes a time when maybe we need to ask ourselves, um, uh, am I leaning too heavily upon what God or the church can do for me rather than how I can participate in what God's doing? Like, is it possible that, that the church becomes like a commodity, like a self-help group or, or just something that we go to for our own benefit and sake? And is there a problem in that? And, and that's kind of a hard hard question and, and, and hard to find the right answer to because, yes, the church is for our benefit, and yes, it should be for our betterment, right? Absolutely. But here's what I'm asking in my mind this week. Is there an extent to which um, uh, I, I'm robbing God of the glory when I choose to perceive his forgiveness and his invitation to the church and his invitation into relationship as, as for my own benefit? The story of Israel was one that, that God said to this man, Abram, I'm going to bless you that you will be a blessing to the nations. See, if God's plan and his will and his dream for this world is far bigger than one individual, then my hope, my salvation, my invitation to participate in church is much less for my own benefit and much more for the benefit of the world around me. Or or maybe it looks like this. Um, we're asking these questions. What gifts can, can I receive from the Holy Spirit? And we're looking through this list in Acts and, you know, trying to check it off. I want more of that one or more of that one, right? And, and so, like Simon, we're saying, this is the one that I have to have rather than appreciating the nearness of God that is found in the Holy Spirit. Or we might say, yeah, I want more of God in my life, but when it comes to, you know, pruning out the negative things in my life, I don't want that much of God, right? I just want the good stuff. I don't want the hard things. I don't want to be called on mission, right? These are ways in which I think sometimes, like Simon, we see the goodness in God, but we're captivated by our own personal gain and potential rather than the vastness and the beauty of the mission of God. So here's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to invite you to participate in any way you want. Um, here's what I'm going to do. I want to acknowledge that, um, that there are inclinations and thought processes in my life that become selfish, even in the realm of Christianity. Like there's are, there are ways in my life in which I want God as a commodity, not as a partner, I want God as, as as for my benefit, rather than for His good and great mission, right? Where I become the center of my faith, rather than a good and a great God. So this morning, as we close out, I'm I'm going to pray, and and I mean here's what here's what Peter said to Simon. He, he said, um, "Repent and pray um, that God would forgive you." and so i'm going to say that prayer this morning and if you feel like there's an aspect in your life um either in your christianity or just in the way we view things and the way we operate as as americans if there's something in your life that you feel like you know i am so caught up in in consumerism in the commodities that i'm losing sight for the greatness of god well then then this can be your prayer too You're, you're welcome to join me in this prayer as we close out this morning Father God, uh, we thank you for this time. I thank you for this story um, of Philip and of a man named Simon. Uh, Father, I am convicted this morning of the fact that it is easy for me to perceive your good work for my benefit rather than for the vastness that it is. Father, it is easy for me to want more of you when it feels good, uh, to to strive for the the aspects that I want. Uh, But Father, I pray that you will open my eyes, um, to, to your goodness, your vastness and your love, to a mission that extends far beyond me individually. Father, I pray that you will, um, convict me, um, uh, of the places in my life that I choose self over you. Father, you are good and you are big. You are everything. And so, Father, I pray that you will help me to have more of that perspective. Father, forgive me where uh, where I am selfish. Father, forgive me where I uh, desire you as a commodity. Uh, Father, um, reshape my life. Father, make me more like your son to le- learn to live a sacrificial life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.